Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Hello, friends. How are you? Good to see you. If we haven't met, my name is Nick, and uh, I'm a regular here with my wife and kiddos, and also I get to serve on the Mission and Community Impact Team, which is an honour. Thank you for that honour. I'm going to be kicking off our sermon series today that we're going into in the book of First John. Don't worry, I'm just the opening band, uh, Mark Foreman, Ryan Pfeiffer, they're coming later, so you're only going to put up with me for one week. But we're going to be looking into what this book is talking about. It's not the biography about Jesus written by John, it's the letter of First John that he wrote. And we're going to see throughout the series, I believe, that it talks about love that is far beyond what we are typically comfortable with understanding, especially in the Western world. The sorts of things we're going to look at today are going to be a real challenge to us. I'm not going to lie. It might be difficult listening at some points. If so, then just throw something at me. You throw enough things, I'll get off stage, all right? We'll have a little deal going on. But why don't you grab your Bibles and flick open to it? <clears throat> By way of uh, preliminary things... Um, Today's sermon has been a bit of an experiment. I've done it in community with a bunch of other people. All right, so any good things that come out of it, that's the other people's. Any bad things, that's all mine. All right, um, or hopefully, you know, the good things are, are the Lord's. But it's a, a letter written by someone who understands community, it's written to a community about a God who exists in perfect community. So it seemed apt. And poetic that we should, uh, you know, prep it in community as well. It's been fun, so I'm going to throw some um, quotes if we have time up on the screen and into the mix for it. So here we are in First um, John chapter one. It's right near the end, near Revelation, and we're going to read it. I've got a couple of challenges today that I have for you, should you choose to accept it. The first one is, as we're reading this, I want you to look for words and phrases and idioms that repeat. Because John uh, wrote this, he wrote it from Ephesus to the churches around Ephesus, present-day Turkey, but it was, it was kind of went out as a, like a pamphlet of his sermon, all right? So it's not, it's not a linear letter, it's something where the phraseology repeats and as it moves along. So I want you to look in on that because inevitably the things that you see come up time and again are things that we're going to focus in on today. Okay, let's get going. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship Keyword fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is a message we've heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Lord Jesus, I just ask that as we come before your word today, we do so with malleable hearts, soft hearts that can be moulded for your purposes. God, we need to be moulded. We're not as we should be. The world is not as it should be. So I ask that you would um, begin that change with us, that we would allow ourselves to be made more into your likeness. And, and the parts of this that rub us the wrong way, Lord, that we would consider before rejecting if they might be rubbing off some of the hard edges that need to be in us. We love you, Lord. I just ask that right now you'd come and that you would speak, you'd diminish my voice, you'd amplify your voice because you are the wonderful one and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first quote, can I have up on screen, was from a buddy of mine who read this and I'm like, what do you think? And he said, he said, when we're walking in the light, we feel naked and exposed. In the spotlight, you see it all. He said it like, you know, everything is seen. The reality is the kind of fellowship that we're talking about with God and with each other is going to demand some discomfort on our behalf. A number of years ago, my wife and I used to have these meetings in our home for spiritual seekers, and we would uh, just open up a topic and talk about things, and, and uh, there was dozens and dozens of people came along who, who were not Christians at all, they were just coming to check it out, right? And one night, I was talking on fellowship, on this and uh, this passage, and in Acts 2, 42 to 47, it talks about real fellowship, it'll blow your mind if you ever want to read that passage. Anyway, as I'm saying it, there were some dear friends there, his mate called Sherlock and his girlfriend called Jules, and they uh, were kind of somewhere between homeless and, uh, and sort of hippies. They lived literally in a cave down the end of the beach. This is in Sydney. This is in a city, but they lived in a cave, had power going to the cave and whatever. And um, anyway, I'm talking and, and, uh, and I'm saying, talking about this and, and that we need to... Um, you know, uh, be open before one another. We, in that sense, need to be naked. Take off of our, our old masquerades and camouflage and so on. And Jules stands up and she says, yeah, we do need to be naked before one another. We should, we should disrobe and stand before one another and just be like this. And I'm like, what do I do here? And I look at my wife and, she, and sitting next to my wife is a girl who I'm pretty sure had rocked up for the first time and her eyes are like dinner plates. I've joined a cult. What am I doing? You know, Right. Leaving aside, we're not talking in literal terms, right? What we're talking about is the trappings of culture. And one of the things that we need to ensure that we're getting right with this letter is we're looking at what does gritty love mean? What does it mean, as today's sermon is entitled, to have a life illuminated? What does it mean? I want to start with Jesus. The centrality of Jesus throughout John's writings is phenomenal. Can I have the thing up on screen? Um, It's like just a very simple thing. Here's the reality. In our day and age, there's a lot of Jesuses out there, as the saying goes. There really is. I want to just ensure that we're talking about the right Jesus, Let's have a look here. In verse 1, that which was from the beginning. Now, the first hearers of this, keep in mind, these guys were those who would have heard this read out in their little home church, right? Immediately that brought to mind a couple of other things in Scripture. Brought 
brought into mind what happened in, uh, in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is linking Jesus with the God who transcends space-time, who existed before it all. In the book of 1 John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. But he uses that term, the Word. There's other titles here used about Jesus. You see, it says Jesus Christ. And if you're new to church and you've been dragged along by some well-meaning, rather annoying friend of yours, okay, just so you know, it would be a fair enough misapprehension, but Jesus Christ is not first name and last name of Jesus Christ is a title, it's an honorific, it's a showing who he was from the Greek Christos, from a rendering of the Hebrew Masiach or Messiah, which means literally anointed one, one who's anointed for a purpose. A term used of kings or prophets in the Old Testament, they were set aside for a purpose. This is, this is that Jesus who was set aside for the purpose, to reconcile sinful humanity with a God of perfect love. That's who this is. Who else does it say here? You guys probably noticed as we're reading through, um, it says the life, the word of life, the life. Jesus even used this term for himself. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. An outrageous claim. An outrageous claim. And also you see the, uh, in verse 1 it is, it says um, the word, capital W, this Jesus is the Word. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. For the little churches who would be hearing this, this was a term rich with meaning. The Jews who heard it, they would know it was an Old Testament word that was used of God, right? They dare not utter his name, his actual name, so they'd use a title for him. This is God, and it's linking Jesus with God. That Jesus is, in fact, God. To the Greeks hearing this and the pagans hearing this, it had another meaning, equally right, but just different. And this, if you kind of combined, I don't know, cosmology and physics with philosophy and, and, and a unifying principle, that which cohered the universe, gave it meaning and purpose, that was what the word was. And Jesus is, in fact, both. Jesus is both of these things. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. And I want to, can I have, there's a, another slide with a, uh, a little bit more on the cross, right. There's a guy called Mike Breen out of the UK and uh, 3DM Ministries, it's great. And I've put in your notes the thing you can YouTube about this. But he talks about the three loves of Jesus. Jesus loved his heavenly father. Jesus loved his community, his tight bunch of dudes. He spent more than half of his time as he walked around planet Earth with his disciples, with 12 people. And then he loved the world. Just as we are, if we're living the life illuminated, we will love the, um, God, we will love our community, and we will love the world. Okay? But let's have a look here about how he interacts, because he encounters Jesus. He has encountered Jesus. Go to the next slide, friends, up the top. Thank you, guys. He talks about encounter. Let's look at the words here. This we've heard. Talk about we. Keep in mind, John's right at the end of his life here. All the other disciples are dead. Judas killed himself. The other 10 have been martyred. He's right near the end of his life. He's just about to be exiled to Patmos where he writes Revelation. 
He's right near the end, but he's saying, we, the disciples and this Jesus community, we've heard, we've seen, we've looked at, we've touched. It's very visceral, very real, very kind of tactile, right? Here's what I want to say by way of encounter, okay? That it is an absolutely fair enough expectation that every person can encounter the risen Christ. The trouble is, if you're like me, that we become a bit cerebral. It's all about doctrine. It's all a kind of out there existential sort of thing. But actually to interact with God, that's an amazing thought. For me, a finite, imperfect man could interact with God the Almighty. And more than that, in a, in a way of intimacy, you could spend your lifetime doing PhDs on that. You would not even scratch the surface of that. That's a profound, profound thought. But we get to interact here, as, um, as uh, Ryan Pfeiffer said, these guys, these guys were the uh, original receivers of this word, but they were not the ultimate beneficiaries of this word. It's for all of us, right? And here he's talking about this, this interaction. Jesus himself said, this is eternal life, that they, God's people, that they would know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, me, whom you've sent. And that term know is not... Uh, an intellectual thing, it's an inherently relational thing. You can encounter the risen Christ. So we come from a generally pretty conservative, intellectual kind of worldview. Most of us, some of us don't. But we come from that place. We get a little uncomfortable with this. Wow, you're calling me to something I don't know. Number one, if I want to be a part of. Number two, I don't even know if I agree with you. I heard it said once like this in a church and be ready for discomfort, <laughs> right? It was if you ain't seen nothing, if you ain't heard nothing, if you ain't felt nothing, maybe you ain't got nothing, okay? When it comes to God, it's going to be an experiential encounter. It's going to be real. You, friend, need to know that you can encounter Christ. And some of us have been growing up in churches all our lives and this is a radical concept, but I absolutely believe that on the basis of the Word of God. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. He appeared or was made manifest in the ESV, I think it's translated. Okay. And we get to proclaim him. See this lens? We get to proclaim him. John is proclaiming him. Here they get to, they get to share with the world this wonderful news about this God who came. Now... Okay, uh, confession time. Left to my own devices, I'm a pretty dreadful person to be around, a kind of annoying Bible basher type person. I want to duct tape my unsaved mates to a chair and smash them with a study Bible until they, you know, relent, okay? <laughs> confession, right? I need to grow in kindness. But guys, we are given this exquisite truth. We are given this unbelievable, profound relationship. We have had this encounter how can we not talk about it? How can we not share it? Not just be talky talkerson, but actually walk it out, live it out. This unbelievable kindness, this unbelievable life, this overflowing, this abundance of life. I'm going to come back to fellowship, but I want to talk about what it means down here when we're talking about God. In verse 5, it says, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. Now, some of us hearing that are delighted. Some of us, like me, are stricken. 
God is light. But I know I'm not. How can he have any kind of relationship with me? Why would he want any relationship with me? If that's you and you're someone who's stricken, I just want to say there's some, there's some good news for you. If you look at this passage and other passages in Scripture, it talks about an ongoing sanctification or transformation that happens. It's not a once-off thing. There was a wrongful teaching called Christian perfectionism um, that said you can just go thus and forward and, and, and you reach a point where kind of you're functionally perfect. I just want to say I've not experienced that. If you're someone who's in a place of perfection, I'd love to hear your secret. Come and see me afterwards, right? But actually the, the reality is typically it led to legalism and judgmentalism and Pharisaism and, and it actually was not a very pretty thing. But it's an ongoing thing. In the last few months, Mark has done a, a series on transformation. And one of the passages he used was out of the end of 2 Corinthians 3. And it says, We with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. It's an ongoing thing. And, and in my mind's eye, I think of it like we're just a dusty, cracked, broken little mirror. And we're somehow trying to get the sun to shine off of our mirror and into a dark cave. That's the best that I can ever hope for. But we get to reflect his love. There's a band called the Paul Common Trio and they had this song years ago and it was, um, I don't want to be a star shining on everyone. I don't want to be the sun. I want to be the moon. He gets to reflect the light of the sun. I love that image. We get to reflect that. A second misconception that comes when we're looking at this concept of dark and light, and it's a very potent Old Testament image of, of God being in light, unapproachable light, wisdom, power, transcendence, mercy, grace, above which we ever could understand. But a, a misapprehension that we have is that somehow the forces of evil and the forces of light are somehow kind of equal. And I just want you to know that's not true at all. Make no mistake, the... Um, forces of evil arrayed against you are very real. We don't talk about it much in the Western world, but we kind of smooth the, um, the you know, peanut butter, peanut paste of intellectualism across things. My wife got saved out of the occult. Okay, so there's no question that the forces of evil arrayed against you are very real. And in the, in the uh, proportionately, we're a little peanut and these forces of evil are big and powerful and scary but for Jesus. We would be toast, but for Jesus. You should be scared, but for Jesus. Okay, proportionate. But compared to the infinite power and might and love of God, these are as nothing. You look at Jesus' life. When he came in, the forces of evil fled like a basement where you turn on the light and the cockroaches scuttle away. He was... He was so powerful. He came into situations. I was reading it this week with my boys and um, we came to this place called the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes. Same, same place. Think like, is it Solana Beach or San Diego? The answer is yes, right? He came to this place and there were these guys who were demonised. They were living amongst the tombs. There was one, it appears that there was one main guy and one guy who was kind of like a, like a we call him a demonic codependent, like a little trainee you know, uh, demonised dude, right? And they were there and they came before Jesus. They saw the, the, the power that was in this man and they came before him. 
And these guys have been tormented and wrecked and they've been tried to be locked up with chains. They would break the chains. Everyone was terrified of them. These guys came before Jesus and the, the demons in him automatically spoke about the authority that Jesus had over them, unquestioned. They said, our time hasn't come. Don't throw us into the pit now because that's what's going to happen. They said, send us into those pigs. So Jesus said, go into the pigs. 2,000 pigs rush down the hill into the water and drown. And then these guys are sitting there in their right minds learning from Jesus. A guy called N.T. Wright said that, that these guys ended up as the first apostles to the Gentiles. Maybe, maybe so. But they're there and the locals are absolutely freaked out. They come and these guys who were, who were demonised, who were, who were um, oppressed, they come and they're in their right mind. They're listening to this guy, Jesus. Leaving aside the fact that by my reckoning as a farmer, between one and $1.2 million worth of pigs by today's standards were destroyed. That's a big deal if you're a farmer, right? But leaving that aside, they, they freak out. Jesus, you've got you to leave this place. You're too freaky for us. But what I want us to take away is the authority with which Jesus spoke. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Jesus is God. He has authority over the darkness. Don't think it's an even battle. My little daughter, um, we were praying this week, and, um, and she was praying, you know, she wants me to close the wardrobe because it's a little scary when it's open at night. And she's praying, she says, Jesus, I ask that you would be strong enough that you would come in and you would beat the nasties. Right? And I said, oh, darling, you've got to know. Absolutely, Jesus has authority over that. Friends, did, do you know that? Do you live like that, that Jesus has authority over the nasties? God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And here we come to this key concept of fellowship. You notice it, it's repeated there in, uh, in verse 3, fellowship, fellowship, down in verse 6, fellowship, down in verse 7, fellowship. Now this is one time where I'm going to say we uh, have an insufficient word in English to render the Greek word koinonia. This is a word of, of intense connection. It's like 27 times or something in the New Testament and sometimes it's translated as participation, like in the sufferings of God. Um, sometimes it's translated as fellowship. Sometimes as, as communion. But what I want us to see is that, that we say the word fellowship, but... It does not mean what you think it means. It means something way more profound, something way more sacrificial, something way more intense, something way more involved. I'm going to call it soul-entwining connection and come up with, if you've got a better definition, come up and chat with me later. But you see here it talks about it. It talks about communion, fellowship with God and fellowship with others. This is the last side of our triangle. Okay. What kind of fellowship is it? How would you describe that kind of fellowship? With my two boys this week, I was hanging out and we read this passage and, and talked about um, from Acts 2, 42 to 47. And, and I said, what, is it, what do you think it means? So I've got a 10 and an 8-year-old. And, uh, and the 10-year-old said, Dad, it means what it says. And I'm like, what do you mean? He says, it says, fellows on a ship. It's like dudes, like swashbuckling, hoisting the mainsail, sailing over the seas, but, but being in brotherhood together. And I thought, that's not a bad translation, not a bad, you know. And the other one, my eight-year-old, he looked at it and he thoughtful about it. And he said, 
Dad, it means that um, we couldn't be sneaky or fake. We couldn't be sneaky or fake. When you're in true fellowship, when you're with God, he knows it all anyway. Don't fake it. <laughs> in this relationship with the one who knows everything. Sorry, my thing just broke here. Let me just put it there. Is that going to work? There we go. Okay. This is the one who knows everything. You can't fake it with God. One of my friends this week said, the trouble with this, she said, is that, that we lack the kind of fellowship that the Bible is talking about, even in our families. So how are we going to get it when it comes to Jesus' community? And I want to press in on here a little bit because um, the truth is we have an insufficient understanding and unless we get a deeper understanding of it, friends, I don't think we can live a life illuminated. So I've already asked you to do one thing. At this point, I'm going to ask you to do something else and I'm going to need a volunteer from the audience. Can I have someone who's going to jump up here? You want to jump up? Okay. Uh, well, I need someone who can jump up the stage real quick. Pasquale, could you jump up? <laughs> That's right. It'll be quick. It'll be quick. Can I the... Hey, how are you going, Pasquale? Good to see you, my friend. How's the, uh, how's the day going? Great. Good. Sermon a little long. We'll be done soon. Don't worry about it. Hey, um, can I have the image up on screen of the Roman handshake? Thanks, guys. Okay. You guys have seen this before. You historian buffs out there will know that actually uh, it was never a thing that the Romans did. But hey, we live in Hollywood, so we can use the term. And in fact, it's immaterial for what I'm about to say, okay? <laughs> but if I was to come up and to shake hands with this person, I can unilaterally pull out of that. Like, or he can. Either, you know, he pulls out of it. It's a very weak understanding, right? But and now you're going to do this with the person next to you or behind you or in front of you. It's going to be so awkward, I know. Touching a person at church, it's going to freak us all out, okay? You know what? You can do it. You will not surely die, okay? So grab the person next to you, like, like the image, okay? You can see it up on screen. Now, no, not like a handshake, like a Roman handshake. Now, friends, if you're on this side, if you're on this side, for the purposes of this analogy, you are God, Okay? So you are not going to let go, all right? So it won't be long enough you'll get a God complex, okay? Don't worry about it. But in this, so you are, you are God here, okay? He holds on to me, but I'm unfaithful. I let go, but he never lets go of me, okay? What about, and so you're no longer God, okay, my friend? Um, and you, you guys on this side, you're no longer God. That was a very short, tenuous God, wasn't it, by the way? Okay, but now in this one, we're, we're, we're humans, where you let go, and then sometimes you grab again, then I'll let go, and you let go, and I let go. But you know what? And even if we both let go at the same time, you can often enough grab each other again. So can I have a round of applause for my friend here? You come up. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know it's very simplistic, right? And maybe too simplistic. Actually, I think it is. But you get what I'm talking about. This is a kind of koinonia that, that he's talking about here. This is, a kind of, this is a kind of fellowship that he's talking about. So what gets in the way of that? I'm glad you ask. There's a lot of stuff that does get in the way of that. Our pride gets in the way of that. This would demand me opening myself up to a bunch of crew who could speak into my life. I'm going to catch up for brekkie tomorrow with a bunch of mates, and they're going to kick my butt about different things. I know it for sure. Probably even things I've said in this sermon. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Ridiculous. Come on, you know. But they love me enough that they are going to speak the truth to me. 
Do we position ourselves in that place where we have those kinds of mates around us? I sent out an, an email to our pastors and directors at the beginning of this year and I said, mates, I want to know about my blind spots. Just give me the first thing that comes to your mind, 30 seconds worth about areas where I'm erring or I need to grow. I want to be more useful as a teammate, as a friend. I want to be a more useful person. I've been talking about the virtue of usefulness, right? And they, a bunch of them answered back and some of the things like, oh, yeah, and I'm, oh, it's true, you know? But it's given me pause to reflect. We need to be purposeful about pursuing that. We need to be purposeful about going over old divides, not letting awkwardness stop us. My wife and I call it entering the danger in our friendships. To always risk losing a friendship in order to make it stronger. Otherwise, what are you, what are you doing? What are we, why are we wasting our time? You know, the two guys walking past each other in the corridor. How are you going, mate? Really good. They walk off. Like this guy, he didn't care. This guy didn't answer honestly anyway, and they walk off. At that point, they've had precisely zero amount of true fellowship. It means if we've got something against someone, we need to deal with it. I'm not saying you need to go and unload on everyone all the time. No, hear me well. Most of the time, you need to go and take it before the Lord. And he'll probably say, oh, come on, get over yourself, you know. Some of the time, we'll say, yeah, this is a real thing. This is breaking fellowship. This is breaking community. And you go to them, and in love, you share your perspective. We don't just cut them off. Never see them again. People break community for the most bizarre reasons. The most, frankly, facile, shallow, hollow reasons. One of the reasons why God has put people around you who annoy you is because they're rubbing your rough edges off. They're the little bit of sandpaper making you smooth. Could it be, perish the thought that that really annoying person that's in your life is there so that you could live a life illuminated? Isn't that a crazy thought? I'm not saying everything they do is right. I'm not saying everything they do is justified or kind. But I am saying that God has allowed that Okay, third thing you guys are going to do, if you want to. You don't have to, just suggestion. If you would join with me to close our eyes. So when we're talking about this kind of fellowship, this kind of soul-entwining community, it means everything up to and including dying for someone. Yep, that's right. So when you guys to visualise a circle in your mind's eye. Don't worry, we're not going to get new AG. Just, just stick with me, right? Visualise, now put names in that circle of people that you would die for. And some of us, there's name, there's name, there's a name, there's a name, and they're going in and it's full. And some of us are putting in a few names and then we're thinking, I want to rub that one out, get the eraser, and that, oh, no, not that. That person's outside the circle of trust. <laughs> some of us, honestly, there's not a lot going on. Open your eyes. It's a challenge, right? And the reality is, I, I believe, just as it is with Christ, if we're not willing to die for someone, we will not be willing to live for them either. The kind of life that John is talking about, the kind of life that Jesus is talking about, that we are called to as the people of God, is an inherently sacrificial life. It's going to demand our all. 
If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Down in verse 8. Self-deception is going to stop us. It's going to be a cancer of the heart of community. It's going to be a cancer of the heart of my own growth, isn't it? Self-deception. Denial is not a river in Egypt, friends. We suffer from all sorts of self-denial, you know. Yeah, not as bad as I thought. You're probably worse. Yeah, I, I do that thing fairly well, maybe slightly less well than you think you do. That's why we need mates around us. They encourage us, they lift us up. That old Irish saying, you know, that, that our joys are doubled and our problems are halved. That's, that's real community. Let's do it. Let's not deceive ourselves. And here, when it talks about us confessing our sin, of course to God, but also to each other. Who, when is the last time, seriously, that you confessed your sin to another person? I mean, honestly, you answer for yourself. It sort of strikes at us. I don't want to do that. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humanity. <laughs> Unless you're the perfect person. It's a sign of being real. It's a sign of being authentic. I don't mean with everyone. I mean with your home group, with your missions group, with your tight mates. With it, we have bottom line uh, community going on, like, and there's groups coming out of that. Like, find who it is. Eight, 10, 12 people to whom you're accountable, to whom you can grow with, who are going to help you out with your blind spots. And now the good news, and I want to invite the band to come back out here because pretty soon they're going to play and we're going to have our last challenge, okay, for the day. This end part here, if we confess our sins to him and to others, he, God, he's faithful and just. It's like a run-on sentence, faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us in an ongoing sense from all unrighteousness. He's not just as in that he gives us our just desserts. Because frankly, we could not face that. That is, that is wrath. That is our just desserts. He's faithful and just to his nature, to his personhood, to his character. And his character is kind, it's loving, it's merciful, it's one that reaches out across eternity and makes us his own. That's who he is. And that's the good news that we get to proclaim. In a second, we're going to um, worship. In fact, this is not a choice thing. This is all of us. Uh, if you could, let's rise. We're going to worship here for, in a second. And we're going to come in and close. These guys, these dear friends here, they're playing as they lead us, but all of us are worshipping together. And as they do so, I felt on my heart that there was three different kinds of folks who, um, who we need to do some business with God together today. Some of us are thinking, yeah, this matter of, of proclaiming and living out Christ, I need to be stronger in that. I need to grow in that. We'll have our prayer team down the side here. And if you're a small group leader, a cell group leader, I'd ask if you could also go out to the sides so we can have folks to pray um, with each other. So if you lead a small group, please, we trust and love you and, and, and your pastor will care. Please, could you also come out to the side? If you think, yeah, I, I want to be, be living a life illuminated, which will entail that proclamation, that sharing. And some of us, 
You might have been dragged here by your mate and you'd never heard the truth that you can encounter the living God. Maybe you've been here, maybe you've been around Christianity your whole life. You never even thought that. It was just a matter of doctrine and acceding to a certain amount of, you know, um, matters of the brain. And it is that. I'm not saying you neglect that for the sake of this. I'm saying it's both, that you can experience life with the risen Christ. And for some of us, we've been challenged about what it means to go deeper in fellowship. Some of us are thinking, I want that. I'm more lonely than I should be. Friends, in the Western church, we are so much more lonely than we should be or need to be. That's why in the Western world, the light of the church is fading. But friends, we don't need to let it fade. We can live a life illuminated. So I'm going to ask you to come for prayer. But I want you to know as you do so, especially that last one, it's going to demand sacrifice and it's going to demand entering the danger. A few years ago, I was with a buddy and I was walking up a beach and I brought to him um, something that was going on in the community and it was actually that he was sleeping with his girlfriend at the time. He was in Christian leadership, but that was going on. And some of you are thinking, so what? I mean, it's just sex. Didn't God make sex? Yes, he did. And God made orgasms because God is great, okay? Right? So yes, it's of God, right? But... It's when it's in the bonds of covenant. It's when it's in the bonds of real, hardcore fellowship. That's the only place that it should be. And I brought this to him and he blew up. He just went crazy. Oh, who are you to tell me this? You can't hold me to account on them. And, just, and I just sat there and loved him and just waited for the firework to kind of sputter out till there was nothing left. And then I said to him through tears, I'm like, you know I love you. I know that you love Jesus. What you're doing is hurting you. What you're doing is hurting her. What you're doing is hurting the community that you lead. Don't tell me, me and you. There is now in Jesus, there is no more me, there is no more you, there is us in Christ. Let's pray, friends, and then we're going to worship together. And please, if that was you, that you've been thinking about something as I've been here, this is the last challenge. If you would not neglect it, not leave it, but you would come on out and have one of these safe, wonderful, dear folks pray with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have engaged us, involved us with yourself. And we are insufficient. We are lost. We have no hope outside of you. But in you, Lord, our hope is renewed. We want to live this life illuminated Lord Jesus, we want to be better at sharing your love. I want to be better at that. God, I want to encounter you more tomorrow than I did yesterday. I want to be praying about that. And Lord, I want to go deeper in fellowship with those who love me to tell me the truth. Those who love me, Lord, who will lift me up. Those who love me, who will show me my blind spots. God, we don't want to be lonely anymore. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.